Good morning once again from Calvary Apostolic Ministries. Ian and myself are excited to come into your home or perhaps even into the cell group or perhaps even into the church and share God's holy word with you. Before I minister the word of God this morning, I want to give a vote of thanks to an encourager. A brother who has lifted my spirits. Words which have been a blessing to me over the past few weeks. Thank you so much, Brother Alvis Ogle, for your words of upliftment. Your kind and encouraging words are helping me to live out my God-given dream. And that is to be a blessing to the body of Christ and above all glorify the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and that the glorious kingdom of God be established throughout the earth. I know that like you brother Albus, many of God's children have a dream and sometimes it is almost the impossible dream. But let me encourage you, myself and others, who have God-given inspired dreams. We must dream the way Joseph dreamed. No matter the trials and tribulations, we must constantly believe in our dream and the source of our dream. And no matter what trials and tribulations come our way, we must dream. Dream, dream. Perhaps this will help us. And that is an acronym for the word dream. D-R-E-A-M. Dreams reveal eternal aspirations miraculously. I want to say it again. Albert, this is for you. This is for me. These are... These are, this is for all those Christians that have a dream, a God-given vision, a God-given call, a God-given purpose. D-R-E-A-M. Dreams reveal eternal aspirations miraculously. So Alvis, myself, and the church, those ministers who have a dream, dream on, dream on, dream on. God bless you. Now let us continue with the so-called closure of the apostolic age. And in the weeks to come, I am endeavoring to allow certain brethren and sisters to share in my ministry. And we'll be having some wonderful people of God give, give testimonies like Brother Ian Sinclair had given a testimony. And there will even be those that will be given song items as such before I minister God's word. So pray about this. We're really looking forward to making this a, a body ministry. For too long there has been the one-man band mentality in the church. And God has instructed me to break that mentality. God has instructed me to use as many of his wonderful people as possible in my ministry. I believe in fivefold ministry. Other than that, I believe in the ministry of gifts and of helps 
and, and of administration. And I want to use as much of these gifts as possible that the kingdom of God may be established. Now, let us continue in the so-called closure of the apostolic age. And may I add that much of my teaching is derived from Donald Gee's books, or rather one of, his, one of the major books of spiritual gifts for today. He is what I deem in my spirit one of the latter-day spiritual fathers of the Pentecostal movement. Now, one of the reasonings that the supernatural is no more in the church is that when considering church history, it is evident that the supernatural gifts were not in use. Now, I must admit that that is true. However, we have to deal with it and give adequate answers to why there was a withdrawal of the spiritual gifts in the church. Well, I would say first and foremost that there seemed to have been a withdrawal of the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit and even the speaking of tongues because the love of many of God's people had waxed cold. And that scripture is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. No wonder Paul encourages the church that they seek after the gifts because whenever our love for God waxes cold, then the supernatural is no more manifested amongst the people of God. Other than the love of God's people waxing coal, the supernatural was lost to the church, not because God withdrew his power from the church, but rather the church stopped hungering after God and his power. After the canonization of the Holy Scriptures, you would notice in history that only the clergy had the Bible. The ordinary man in the street was denied the Word of God. And we know that faith cometh by the Word, the hearing of it, and the clergy through the dark age kept the Word of God away from the man in the street. Men like Tyndale, gave their lives that the common man might have the printed Bible at hand. The first printed Bible was in the 16th century. And because Tyndale had the Bible printed, he paid dearly for what he had brought to the church, a blessing that every man would have the Word of God in his hand. He was burnt at the stake. Prior to just being burnt at the stake, he was strangled. But we thank God for this man. But I, I, I hope you are getting the zest of what I'm, I'm endeavoring to say. The word of God was kept away from the common man. And you know that faith cometh by hearing of God's word. 
And because God's word was not easily at the disposal of man, the word of God, the teachings were kept away from him by the clergy. The clergy controlled and manipulated the common man in the street. And the word of God, the teachings of God's word was kept away from them. Instead of preaching the word of God in the dark ages, it was said of the church that they were selling indulgences. Martin Luther, that wonderful apostle of God, disclosed this horror in one of his 95 theses. And when we consider the weaning of the supernatural, it was the church at fault and not God. God did not withdraw the supernatural. The church was in a state of apostasy and therefore the supernatural was not amongst the people of God. Excuse me while I have a drink of water. When we closely examine church history, there was always a sprinkling of the supernatural. Even through the dark age and the period of apostasy, there was always a sprinkling of the supernatural. The early church fathers wrote of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit operative in their days. Men like Irenaeus, Tertullian, Chrysostom, I can't even pronounce his name, Chrysostom, and even Augustine, Augustine or Augustine of Hippo, the Catholic scholar. So it was practiced in the early church, in the period of the church fathers. In the midst of the dark ages, that is the uh, middle age, the supernatural was manifested. And once again, I can't even pronounce his word, by the Waldenses, the Albigenses, the Jansenites, the early Quakers, and the early Methodists, and the Evengate Church. So we see throughout the church age, right up to the, 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 the reawakening of Pentecost in the early 20th century, there were always sprinklings of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Another reason cited that the supernatural is no more is seen in the following accusation against Pentecostalism and its use of the supernatural. Let me give you the accusation. The New Testament canon is now complete and therefore there is no need for the spiritual gifts. There is now the written word. Let me say this categorically. Spiritual gifts do not add to scripture. I want to repeat myself. There are those that accuse Pentecostalism of adding to scripture through spiritual gifts. Now we that are Pentecostal, we're not Mr. Know-alls. But thank God we know him that knows it all. And we are aware of the warnings 
found in Scripture in adding to the revelation of the Word of God. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. Chapter 22 and verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. The accusation of those that oppose the supernatural being manifested in our day and age accuse Pentecostalism and even the charismatic movement of adding to the scripture through the supernatural vocal gifts. Now, true Pentecostalism is well aware of, the, of this admonition. And that is why we do not see vocal supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit as adding to the scripture. In fact, we religiously follow the teaching of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 29. We believe in prophecy. We believe in words of knowledge. These vocal supernatural gifts given to the church by the Spirit. But at the same time, we are not a law unto ourselves. We allow ourselves to be governed by the Word of God. And this scripture governs any form of vocal supernatural manifestations. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 29 Let the prophet speak by two or by three and let the other judge. I'm going to read the scriptures again. Let the prophet speak by two or three and let the other judge. Vocal supernatural manifestations is not scripture though they at times can be based on scripture. And that is why we judge accordingly. How do we judge? We judge in this sense, in this manner. Has what been said through the vocal supernatural gifts, has it got its roots in the word of God? Then we always ask ourselves the question whether it's word based or not. Who is the source of what has been said? We know that there are three spirits in the world. That is the spirit of man, which is the spirit of the world. And there's the Holy Spirit and the voice of evil spirits. No matter how scriptural, scriptural and biblical it sounds, we judge the source and how do we judge? Like I said, first and foremost, is what is being said word-based? Secondly, although it is word-based, does it glorify God? Then thirdly, is it endeavoring to establish doctrine? Then again, is it personal? Does it single out specific people? We can cite several more means of judgment, but we leave that when we study the vocal gifts of the Spirit. But we cannot move from this false accusation that we add onto Scripture with the vocal gifts. 
without giving the entire body of Christ that true Pentecostalism follows the pattern, the example set forth in the early church. Let me cite examples of what I am saying. Let's go now to Acts chapter 2 and verse 16. I hope you are following me with this. Acts chapter 2. Go to your Bible. Let's see what this man of God is saying has its roots in God's word. Acts 2.16 But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I need to reiterate, I need to repeat myself. What I'm endeavoring to establish is this, is that any supernatural manifestation vocally does not add on to scripture. It has to be judged. And I'm looking now to the New Testament of how that the apostles dealt with questions pertaining to scripture. On the day of Pentecost, there was confusion. Confusion in the sense that all the Jews from various parts of the world had heard the apostles preaching in their peculiar vernacular. And they were amazed and said, how is this possible? That all of us, though we all are from different countries, though we all are Jews, we are hearing the preaching in our own national language. And they were amazed. And then some foolish people said, no, hey, these guys are drunk, man. These guys are drunk. And this is what Peter said. For these are not drunken as you suppose. Since it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, what I'm endeavoring to prove here is this. Peter did not say that what I'm saying now is God's word. Although it was God's word spoken by him through the anointing of the Spirit. But to convince him that that which he was saying of was of God, he refers them to the Old Testament. He doesn't say that his preaching is now above judgment, but what he's saying, what I said, it is of the Word of God, because the Word of God in the Old Testament has prophesied of what I'm saying now to you. Prophecy doesn't add. But for people to know whether or not what is being said is of God, they have to refer to the Word of God. Now, if the apostles done that, how so much more must we do that? Let me give you another example. Acts chapter 15, verse 5. And while we turn there, while we turn there, I'm going to have another drink of water. Acts 15 verse 5. No, Acts 15 verse 5, yes. But there arose up certain of the sick of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here was a problem in the early church. 
a major problem in the church. Paul, the Gentile apostle together with Barnabas, had gone out on a mission and they'd come across many Gentiles who were born again, uh, who were now spirit-filled, but the Judaizers that followed them insisted that in order them to be full-fledged Christians, they would have to embrace the, the, the principles and the laws of the Jewish faith. Paul did not approve of this. Neither did Barnabas. So what did they do? What did they do? They went to the apostles. They went to Jerusalem and they had counsel with the apostles. And notice how that this problem is solved. It's, it's resolved in a very, very unique way. Now, I'm going to read to you, in fact, I'm going to read to you the whole, almost the whole chapter. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they received of their church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when they had much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice amongst us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and will again build the tabernacle of David which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble them not which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Amen. Now notice carefully 
how that the apostolic band, together with the elders of the church, deal with this problem. Peter cites his experience that he has with Cornelius. Paul and Barnabas cite their experiences that they had throughout the then known world. They in no way disbelieved by the apostolic ban. But even the experiences that these wonderful great apostolic men had had with the Gentiles, this in no way motivated the apostolic ban to make a decision whether or not the Gentiles should be circumcised. Notice what they do. They resort to the word of God. James, which seems might have been the, the leader of the apostolic band, he refers to the word of God. Notice what he says in verse 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. And what I'm saying in a nutshell, we take the same stance that is modern Pentecostalism, we take the same stance. We don't believe for any moment that supernatural vocal manifestations authenticate the Word of God or adds on to the Word of God. What we believe is this, is that the Word of God is the highest authority in the church. And if ever we are in doubt, we don't go to the prophet, we don't go to the seer, we go to the word of God. If the early church did not allow their, their, their very own experiences and the very prophecies that they spoke to authenticate doubts or to establish doctrine, we in no manner can do any different to what they had done. Someone shout Amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah, Brother Ian. The apostolic leaders and elders, and I dare say these were the pastors, the teachers, and the evangelists that resorted to Old Testament scriptures. True Pentecostalism does not accept the role of a seer. When we counsel, we counsel upon the Word of God. We do wait upon God for a special word. Amen? Now I have to say that again. We do wait upon God. But we do not wait upon God for a special word. Our counseling is not through a supernatural manifestation. Our counseling is from the word of God. We don't use a rhema, but we use the logos, the written, written word. Notice what the Bible says in Psalm 110 and verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word, the written word, the Logos gives direction. The rhema, the supernatural vocal manifestation does not give in any way direction to the church. We don't believe for one moment that the supernatural gift that is being practiced in the church now, that is the vocal manifestations of prophecy, uh, uh, diverse tongues, and the translation thereof, or the interpretation thereof, adds to the Word of God. Oh no, we do exactly what 
the early chance early church had done they went to the word the old testament we now go to the old and the new testament to verify that which has been said however i will say this when people do come to us with their dilemmas and their perplexities we turn to god's word and we give them counsel from god's word However, if we don't know what their problems are, their perplexities are, their dilemmas are, we can speak into their life through words of knowledge. And that's the time the supernatural manifestations take place. It's not an addition to the word, but it meets the need of that particular person. We need to understand the purpose of prophecy. And the word of knowledge, etc., etc. You know, when we take away the supernatural from the church, when we take the realm of voice from God, when we take the voice of the Holy Spirit away from the church, then I'm sad to say there is lesser expression of the love and the care of God for His people. You need to understand the purpose of the supernatural manifestations, the vocal gifts that, that that is. My Bible says it is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Deny this to the church. Tell the church that this is not operative in our day and age. Then you are denying them. Then the church the edification, exhortation, and the comfort from a loving and a caring God who died for His people. Hallelujah! The supernatural manifestations is but to, to build up the hurting child of God who is weighed down with trials and tribulations, who has been hounded and pounded by the spirits of darkness. And the vocal supernatural gifts is to show forth the love and care that God has for His children. Take away that. Take away the supernatural. Then you deny God's people of God's love and God's care. You as a father, you as a mother who love your children, when your children are ill, when your children are perplexed with sickness and disease, when your children through wayward living are, 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 are possessed by the powers of darkness, I wonder who you go to. I wonder who you call upon. My God, thank God for spiritual Christian counseling. We should go there. But I'm here to tell you that the modern day church believes in God who is alive, but they deny the power of the loving God. I tell you the supernatural gifts of God to the church is but evidence of His love and care. Once again, an acronym for the word care. C-A-R-E Caring always reveals empathy and God who is a father 
who loves his people, who sent his only begotten son to die in our stead. When we were suffering in sin, did God leave us to ourselves? Did God have a delight in seeing us going to a Christless eternity in hell? Do you think in the same fashion that God has any delight to see us when we sick and perplexed and the problems of life weigh us down? No! My Bible says that God is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Ah, oh, come on here and shout Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God cares for us. Take away the supernatural, my brother and my sister, then you robbing me of the love of my God, the care of my God. Oh, thank God, yes, I also believe in doctors, I believe in nurses, but I still believe this. Man, the doctor and the nurse might do the bandaging, but if God doesn't touch the bandage, there's no healing, there's no healing. Glory to God. I earlier mentioned how we judge vocal supernatural manifestations. We check whether or not it is based on God's word. And even if it is based on God's word, who is using the word and for what purposes? Brethren, let me assure you, my brothers outside of Pentecostalism, my brothers outside of the charismatic movement, please stop attacking the church against the supernatural. Take away the supernatural, then we have a weak, feeble church. There are many Christians that believe in Christ, but they deny the power of Christ. And let me, let, let, let me assure you that we do not add on to Scripture. We're always quick to judge what is said. We're always quick to judge the so-called rhema. And we're always quick to judge the source of the so-called rhema. Not only do we judge whether or not it lines up with the word, but we also judge the source and what is the purpose behind that which is being said. Let me give you the classic example of this. And if you understand it, then I tell you, my brother and my sister, you're going to be blessed. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. You know what, brother Ian and I are having problems this morning recording this. We've been, we've been attacked in such a way that the, 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 the lighting played up, the, 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 the video itself played up, a few problems. But we prayed and we know that the devil's trying to disrupt this teaching because it's going to make an effect upon the church. Chapter 4 verse 1 of Matthew. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth 
out of the mouth of God. Now notice what I'm going, what the word says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And it might seem as if, these are my words now, look at the scripture, it might seem as if Jesus had made the devil wise, because now the devil starts to use scripture. Verse 5, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou foot, thou dash thy foot against a stone. <laughs> the devil quotes the word. The devil speaks the word. And he quotes from Psalm 91, 11 to 12. What am I saying, church of God? Jesus did not succumb. Jesus did not obey, although he quoted the word, because the purpose of that word was not to glorify, glorify God, but rather to dethrone Christ. Was to make the ministry of Christ of disrepute. Jesus did not obey him, because Jesus did not hear from God. The devil was quoting God as if God was speaking, but God was not speaking. Hallelujah. You hear what I'm saying, church? You hear what I'm saying? We don't only check if what he said is word-based, but we always check also whether the source is either a demonic spirit, a human spirit, or the Holy Spirit. We don't add to scripture. Let me go on. Another reason why they say the gifts are not for today is seen in this foolish statement. And that is the gifts are not necessary as the modern world is convinced of the truth of Christianity. Oh, that's a powerful statement. They say there's no need for the supernatural because the modern world is so acceptable of Christianity. Well, let me say this, that I do believe that there's no religion in the world that promotes immorality. There's no religion in the world that promotes sin. Most religions portray and advocate good, clean principles of life. And what the world is saying is that Christian, Christianity is known, revered, and respected by so many other religions. In other words, they're taking Christianity and put it, putting it on the same level as other religions. My Bible says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end there are are the ways of death. Proverbs 14 and 16. Isaiah says that our righteousness are as filthy rags. All these religions are good and clean and upright. But let me assure you, the whole world may know of Christianity, but not all of them are fully convinced. Tell me, just what is it 
Though like all religions, Christianity promotes purity in ethics, just what is the difference? Well, it is not based on good works. It's not based on good works. Our, our whole faith is based on our spiritual experience made real through faith. But what faith and where must our faith be expressed? The Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith. And where is this faith to be expressed? Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I trust that you are enjoying this. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The whole world might know of Christianity. But tell me, does the whole world know that there is major distinctions between our Christian faith and their faith? What is this major difference? This is the major difference. Only Christianity has a savior. One who conquered sin, one who rose from the dead. One who rose from the dead. One who died on the cross. One who died on the cross. One who rose from the dead. The cornerstone of Christianity is the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of the one that died on the cross. Now with all that in mind, I wanted to turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 33. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And listen to this word very carefully. And with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was among them. Note the word power. The word power in the Greek is dunamis. And when you do a linguistic principle of hermeneutics, one discovers the true meaning of the word. The Strong's Concordance has this to say about dunamis. And by the way, the reference numbers in the Greek dictionary is number 1410 and 1411. It says, force, literally or figuratively, especially miraculous power, usually by implication, a miracle itself, ability, abundance, meaning, might, mightily, mighty, mighty deed. Worker of miracles, power, strength, violence, mighty, wonderful work. The early apostles, the foundational apostles, gave witness of the resurrection, not only through their preaching and their witnessing, but the signs and wonders that confirmed their preaching and their witnessing. Supernatural gifts were manifested. People were healed. People were raised from the dead. 
And if the early church had to convince then the Jews of their day that Jesus was the Christ through the resurrection power, how so much more we today have to do likewise? You say that the apostolic age is over. Then the witnessing of the resurrection is made weak and feeble. I close with this saying again. If we say that there's no need for the sign gift ministry because the world is well aware of Christianity, then my brother and my sister, we make the Christian faith of no repute. The distinction between them and us we have a savior that died on the cross we have a savior and praise be to god who said i have the keys of hell and death he said i am the resurrection and the life hallelujah the distinction is we believe in the resurrection we don't earn our salvation we put our faith in the christ we put our faith in his death and resurrection. And if the early church had to convince the then known world with signs and wonders confirming the word, how so much more we? Brother, if you keep on attacking the church, then I say it in the spirit of love. If you say that the supernatural is not for the day, then I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if you truly believe that Jesus is alive today. Because his signs and wonders in the church now attest to his resurrection. Ah, Ian, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We're not concluded. We're going to continue in this vein next week, but time does not permit us to continue. But um, I don't say that the Lord spoke to me subject to judgment. You hear what I'm saying? I want to pronounce a, a, a benediction. I, I, I know I'm not praying publicly before we minister the word of God. Ian and I pray. We, 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 we seek the face of the Lord. And after we minister, I, I, I know I haven't been in any way um, closing in prayer. But I feel it essential that I pronounce a benediction over you. I sense the presence of God. I don't know if you really understood what I said this morning. But I know one thing that God is the after speaker. I have my limitations as a man of God. I'm not a well-educated man. What I have is what was conferred upon me. It's, it's, it's just people recognizing me for who I am, a simple man of God. But I just hope that the Spirit of God will speak to you. That you would know that in whom we believe is alive and is well. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he directs his church through the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God through the supernatural manifestations proves that Jesus Christ is alive that he's seated in heavenly places with his Father, and that he's alive forevermore. Church, if we deny the supernatural, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, if we are denying 
the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those of you that believe what I and Ian believe, I want you to pray for these people that attack the church. I don't want you to pray condemnation upon them. But pray the prayer that I'm praying. These are my brothers that have come up against what we believe is truth. That which is valid and for our day and age. We ought to pray wisely. There's only one prayer that I'm praying right now for those people that pen nasty words against Pentecostalism and the charismatic movements. I know there are errors amongst us. I know sometimes we do some dumb, stupid things. But deep down in our heart, we love God. We're not a perfect people. But we love a perfect God and we serve Him. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The Apostle said that they counted a, a joy to suffer for the Lord. And I tell you, my brother and my sister, if you believe what was said this morning, you're going to suffer. You're going to be ridiculed and mocked and scoffed. You're going to be called a demon. You're going to be called as one that is not rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, it's sad, but someone shared this with me once, that the army of God is one of the worst armies to be in. They say we all march together against the enemy and all our weaponry or that which shields us from the darts of the enemy is on the front of our body, the shield, the spear. There's nothing to save, save God our back, only to save God the front. You know, we can fend off, we can fend off the darts and the swords of the enemy. But it's so sad. In the same army there are those that walk alongside of us and behind us that stab us in the back. That say that which we preach is of the devil. That our experiences is not of God. I'm praying for these people. I'm not condemning them. And this is how I'm praying. That when they gather together to pray, whether corporately or privately, that they would open their mouths wide and praise God and worship God. And God will go beyond their disbelief. And God will baptize them in the Spirit. Let me now give you the benediction. It comes not only from me, it comes from Brother Ian. Found in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Next week I will be teaching on whether or not there are apostles. God bless you. Amen.